Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, believers, non-believers, and everyone in between. You're listening to Stories with Sapphire. I am Sapphire Sandalo. Now get cozy and open your mind because it's story time. I met my dear friend Alex years ago on an animated series we were both working on. We bonded over our love of tarot, the esoteric, and dismantling the patriarchy. Alex was my first friend who called herself a witch. She affectionately likes to joke that I'm in the broom closet, a closeted witch. I just can't bring myself to identify as one. But Alex helped me see the ways in which I, and you listening, are already practicing magic. Wine is an elixir that helps us have a good time. Taking relaxing baths is a soothing spell. Simply cleaning your home is redirecting and cleansing the energy. Even blowing out birthday candles is a form of magic. Witchcraft is more normal and common than people may realize. After all, a witch is simply someone who is aware of their power and knows how to use it. But that power can be used to harm others, and is why witches and witchcraft still have a bad reputation. In today's episode, I'll be sharing stories about the dark side of witchcraft so you can detect the signs yourself and differentiate this taboo practice from positive witchcraft. First, I speak with Cassidy Liston, who believes her family has been cursed by a witch from the Salem Witch Trials. And then, Mortis Media narrates a true tale from a victim of Brujeria. Chapter 1. My Cursed Bloodline. I went home to Arizona. Wait, wait, sorry. I'm so sorry. Is there a window to you behind you? Yes. Is it open? No. So there's no wind. Something? No, there's no wind. Why? What just happened? <laughs> when Cassidy Liston told me that weird things tend to happen around her, she was not kidding. We'll go over what happened during our call later. Like many people I've spoken with, paranormal experiences run in her family. I found out when I was like 16 that my father had also had a lot of paranormal experiences growing up, and that kind of opened the floodgates, and I found out that a lot of people in my family actually had. And something else ran in her family as well. And then when I was in my 20s, I found out that I'm a descendant of one of the original accusers from the Salem Witch Trials, and so we kind of have this running family joke that our bloodline is cursed, and that's why weird things always happen to us, and we always seem to end up living in haunted locations. 
Some of Cassidy's earliest paranormal memories were from her grandparents' house. My grandparents lived in this old farmhouse in the middle of nowhere, only surrounded by cornfields and the woods, dirt road leading up to the house, totally secluded, and we loved spending time there when we were kids, obviously. One of our favorite things to do when we were growing up, when we would go to my grandparents' house, is it was surrounded by miles of cornfields. So we would play hide-and-go-seek in the cornfields. And I have mostly older siblings and older cousins, and I only have one younger brother who was alive then. And we were always way too afraid to go deep into the cornfields, so we would always hide right along like the edge so that we would still be a little bit in the light from the house. Because, of course, you were playing at night. And one night we were playing hide-and-go-seek, and sometimes they would try to be nice to us, the older cousins, and pretend like they didn't see us right in the very front of the cornfield. And so they would walk past and go deeper in. And I was sitting in the dirt, you know, kind of shivering, holding my knees to my chest, and I could hear something talking behind me. And while I hadn't seen anyone walk past me, I just was like, oh, it must just be one of my brothers back there. And they're whispering to each other. But the voice kept getting louder and louder. And it felt like it was right behind me. And it was a very distinctly female voice, which I am the only girl in my family. So there were no other little girls playing with us. And it definitely was an adult woman. And she was whispering really, really close to like the back of my head. But I was too afraid to turn around and look and see it. It was hard to hear what she was saying because she was, it was really low and it was really like uh, frantic. And so it just was like this urgent, like kind of raspy whispering that to me felt like someone was trying to either warn me about something or trying to get me to come towards them. I didn't know what was the safest thing to do because part of it felt like she was trying to tell me to come more into the corn to get away from whatever was about to happen out there. But then the normal part of my brain was like, no, run away from the disembodied voice, Cassidy. What are you trying? What? No, don't go towards the voice. Finally, I bolted out of the cornfield and just ran into the house. And later that night, I was talking to my little brother and he was like, why were you whispering in the cornfield to me? You went in so deep, you don't usually go that deep into the cornfield. Because I was behind, he thought it was me behind him whispering at him. And he was like, we both usually stay right on the edge of the cornfield. Why were you back there so deep? And he was really young at the time. He was probably only like three. So the fact that he thought it was me is just so creepy. I always had this image in my head that if I turned around and looked to see who it was, and I don't know why I thought this, that it would be like an old woman with really long hair who was like crouched down, you know, like on her haunches, leaning into like the back of my ear talking to me. I don't know what they wanted, I think is what was like the most sinister. Like there was no real plan that they had in place. You know, they weren't telling me directly to do something or to go somewhere. It was just like a frantic need for me to move and be out of that specific area. So maybe I just had like an overactive imagination and the idea of like a scary old lady is what popped into my head. Or maybe that's what I would have seen if I would have turned around, had the courage to do it. Thankfully, I did not. (laughs) Cassidy and her cousins would also randomly hear banging coming from upstairs, 
as if someone was angrily stomping around. They all also felt the same heaviness in one corner of the basement, where she once awoke in the middle of the night to find herself standing there. There was a general sense of unease in this place, like they were constantly being watched. Cassidy thought this was typical of everyone's childhood. I think it's one of those things where I didn't even realize how strange it was until I was older and started, like, I would tell people things like that, and they'd be like, yeah, no, that's not a universal experience. (laughs) Like, nobody else had that when they were a kid. But everyone in my family had had kind of these experiences, and we talked about, like, ghosts and stuff so often. I just thought it was run-of-the-mill. And then when I moved to college, and this is the first time, obviously, I lived out of my family's home, and my roommate was constantly complaining that I brought a ghost with me because we were constantly having things happening in our dorm room. It didn't help that we lived in an old hotel that they had turned into living units. So this place had quite the history. Like It's this old school hotel in Brooklyn Heights, New York. And the seventh floor, which of course is the floor that we lived on, had actually burnt down once. And obviously not everyone had made it out. And we would see and hear things constantly. And uh, all of my friends complained that they never felt like they were haunted or believed in ghosts until they spent too much time around me and witnessed it themselves. (laughs) One of the most common things that would happen is we had this light right on the entranceway of our room or whatever you want to call it, dorm area. And me and my roommate, we would just kind of leave our door open and our room was the room that everyone would come hang out in because we lived on the same floor as all of our friends. And that light would never work. We got the bulb replaced like 10 times. We were constantly flicking it on and off and trying to futz with it and it just never worked. And the only time that light would ever turn on is when my good friend, Amanda, would walk into the room, it would turn on immediately. Every single time, without fail. She didn't come in the room for two weeks and never turned on. She was in the room three times that day, would turn on three times each time she walked in. And so we always joked that the ghost had a crush on her. (laughs) We also very often would hear knocking on all of our walls at all hours of the night. And you might think that's not that strange for like a dorm situation. But the dorm that was actually right next to us was empty. So there was no possible way that somebody was in there knocking on the walls at 3, 4 a.m. Loudly, like banging. And that probably happened at least once a week. The first week that we were staying in that room, my roommate, who I had been randomly assigned to, so I'd never met this girl before in my life, About the third or fourth night that we stayed there, the next morning I wake up and she's kind of looking at me weird. And I was like, hey, is everything okay? And she's like, this is really weird. And I know we're about to live together for the next year, so I hope this doesn't put us off on like a wrong foot. But last night there was this woman in white standing over the bed just staring at you. And it scared me so bad like I couldn't move. And then you were just sleeping. You just slept right through it. And she was just standing right in front of you, staring at you, which scared the crap out of me. And also I was like, well, this should be interesting if she can see stuff like that. We end up asking around, are there any like legends or haunts about this building? And apparently 
There was a woman who was supposed to get married, and her husband died the night before their wedding. So she jumped off of the building in her wedding dress and landed on like a terrace down below. And people claimed to see her walking the halls. And my roommate described what she saw to one of the people who'd been there for like four years. And he was like, yeah, oh yeah, that's her. You'll see her a lot, probably. When I went to college, I think that's when I kind of realized that it might have more to do with me than just the circumstances that I'm in when it came to the paranormal. Just because, like I said, growing up with my family, it felt like somebody had a new ghost story or something weird that happened every night. And so it just felt like, oh, that's just something that happens. And even my other friends who lived in the building, they experienced the most activity whenever they were in our room with me. Amanda, who was my friend who the ghost had a crush on, she actually moved out to California with me. We lived together for three years. And she was like, I had never experienced so much paranormal activity in my entire life living with you. She's like, the moment I moved in with my boyfriend and my future husband, nothing. It all stopped. I never experienced anything again. And meanwhile, every place I've lived, I've been like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. Like, my couch is haunted right now. And (laughs) I actually convinced her once. This was probably one of the scariest things that ever happened to me. Uh, She came and visited me after school finished. It was the summer. I went home to Arizona. Wait, sorry. sorry. I'm so sorry. Is there a window to you, behind you? Right after Cassidy was about to share what she considers her most terrifying experience, I noticed something move in the background of her video. Um, I just saw like a curtain flutter. <laughs> yeah, there's no wind. It's closed. <laughs> she moved her camera to show me the window and I noticed her cat tower. I figured it's it was her cat who moved the curtain. It's closed. Stop. Wait, oh, do you have a cat? Uh, I do, but he's locked in the other rooms because he meows at me when I record. Oh my God. Okay. Sorry. I I had to point that out before we continued. No, I mean, sounds about right. Wow. Okay. Uh, Okay. So I believe you. I posted the clip on TikTok and people were very divided on it. The link is in the show notes if you want to check it out for yourself. But if it wasn't the wind and it wasn't a cat that moved the curtain, then something moved it right before Cassidy was about to launch into the wildest part of her story, which will continue after a brief break. Before I became a podcaster and paranormal investigator, I used to be a full-time animator and character designer, and podcasts kept me company while I drew, especially paranormal podcasts. One of my favorites was Jim Harold's Campfire. I would actually be shocked if you hadn't heard of it because it's one of the OGs. In fact, it recently celebrated its 13th anniversary. But if you haven't heard of it, it's a call-in show where ordinary people share their extraordinary stories with Jim every week. The story topics range from ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and stories that can't be categorized. You're listening to my show right now, so I know that you love non-fictional paranormal stories. Stories involving the serial killer Ted Bundy, or a man who owned a haunted hotel. And also heartwarming stories of deceased loved ones coming back to say hello. Jim Harold's Campfire was a huge inspiration for me. So do me a personal favor and tune in to Jim Harold's Campfire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Stories with Sapphire. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and thanks for checking out Drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm Cassidy. And I'm Amanda. And this is a podcast dedicated to the mysterious. Are you into conspiracy theories? True crime? Aliens? The paranormal? If so, you might be interested in our podcast, Drinking the Kool-Aid. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Just remember to keep your front door locked, your mind open, and and keep keep drinking drinking the Kool-Aid. And now, Cassidy shares the most horrifying paranormal experience of her life. I finished school and I went and stayed at my dad's house for the summer who lived in Arizona. Amanda, my friend, came with me. So my dad actually left on a business trip one morning and so we had the whole house to ourselves. And we're like so excited. And I don't know where I got this bright idea, but I did. And I decided that we should try astral projecting so we like did research all morning on like the best way to do it and like how you should be like laying down and what you should picture and there's several different ways to try and astral project but one of the most successful ones that I saw was you pretend that there is like a rope from your chest straight up into the astral plane and then you picture it is made out of something that you can easily imagine. So whether that's like an actual rope, like from gym class, or I don't know why, but my brain went straight to silk because I can really easily picture what silk feels like in my hand. So you're supposed to picture that, and then you're without lifting your arms and actually grabbing for this imaginary rope, you're supposed to imagine your arms lifting out of your body, grabbing onto this rope, and then pulling your body, your astral body, out of your physical body. So we're laying down in the living room. She's on one couch. I'm on the other couch. And I'm picturing, you know, pulling myself out of my body with this silk rope that's hanging from the ether, right? And I feel it. Like, it really feels like it starts to work. And I don't know if I'm tricking myself or what, but it feels like I feel like I, you know, that lightness in your arms and your legs almost when you're, like, falling asleep. That feeling where you're there, but you're not. And... You know, I'm trying to stay calm and I'm thinking, okay, maybe I'm actually going to be able to do this. This would be so cool. And then I hear a crash in the kitchen behind us and we both sit up. And my friend Amanda looks at me and she goes, I felt like I was about to do it. And I was like, me too. I felt like I was so close. But we get up and we go into the kitchen and there's nothing wrong. Nothing fell. There's nothing on the ground. And we can just hear like a clicking, like on and off. And we're looking at like, what is making a clicking noise? And we look over and the coffee machine on and off button is flicking on and off like crazy, like right in front of us, like physically moving. And so, of course, I unplug it and I'm like, "Um, let's just pretend that didn't happen and no more astral projecting. Okay, we're done. We're done. Sorry, we get it. We get the signal. We're not going to try anymore. So we go back into the living room. We kind of try to move on with our day. 
we're watching TV and then we end up, um, I play guitar and she sings. So I pot or I muted the TV and I was playing guitar and she was singing. And while we're doing this, I keep swearing that I'm hearing a, a baby crying upstairs in my dad's like master bedroom. And I, I'm thinking I'm crazy. And finally Amanda stops and she goes, do you hear a baby crying upstairs? And I was like, yes, what is that? And she's like, I have no idea, but I've never been more scared in my life. And I'm not going upstairs. Like, I feel like something's trying to make us go upstairs and I don't want to do it. And I was like, okay, that's fair. That's fair. So we spend the rest of the day, like, we don't even go upstairs to change. We stay in our pajamas all day. And then finally, um, one of my brothers who also lives in Arizona calls us and is like, hey, I'm going to have some people over tonight. Do you guys want to come over? And we're like, yes, we would love to get out of this house right now. But we hadn't showered. We hadn't even changed our clothes. So we came up with this plan where we would just go into the bathroom. And while one of us was in the shower, the other one would just kind of wait in the bathroom. And then we'd switch. So that's what we did. And it was fine. And sorry, my dog likes to sit under me while I record. Uh, We were fine. Maybe that was your dog then that moved the curtain. She was under my feet when it happened. (laughs) Sorry, I know. (laughs) So... One of us gets out of the shower, the other switches and is doing their makeup. And Amanda's like, I need to get my clothes out of the room that's like catty corner. So I'm just going to leave the door open, run over there, open the door, grab my clothes and then bolt. So she tries to go over there and the door won't open. And she's like pushing on this door as hard as she can. It's not locked. The handle will turn, but it won't push open. And so I get out of the shower and I all my clothes are in there, too. And I go to try to open the door and it won't open. I'm like laying my shoulder into this thing. It will not open. So we get down on our hands and knees and look under the door and there's nothing in there, nothing blocking the door, but there's just cold air like pouring out of this room. And I go and check to see if the air conditioner's on. It's not, of course. And so I'm like, okay, we're just going to wear our pajamas. It's going to be fine. Let's go. Let's go get ready and get out of here. So we go back into the bathroom. We're getting dressed really quick. And as I'm standing in front of the mirror, braiding my hair, because it's soaking wet, but we're not going to stay and, like, do our hair. I'm braiding my hair. And I'm like, ow, what the heck? And I look down, and Amanda's like, what? Did, like, a bug bite you? And I was like, I don't know. I just, like, got this crazy feeling on my arm. We're looking at my arm, and right in front of our eyes, this huge red handprint shows up around my arm like a burn, like it had welts on it. And we were like, all right, we're out of here. And we just like bolted down the stairs, ran out, locked the door and went to my brother's house. When we get there, we're telling them the story. He thinks it's hilarious. All of his friends think it's hilarious. They're all looking at my burn on my arm. They're thinking we somehow faked it. And I'm like, we both watched it show up. And so I'm like, we're sleeping here tonight, by the way. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, okay. So we we sleep on like a couch and like a little pullout. And the next morning we wake up and there's this huge handprint on the outside of the window right behind where we both slept. I've never been more scared of anything in my life. And I was like, I promise whoever's up there, I will never try astral projecting again. I swear I learned my lesson. It was horrifying. Many people fear astral projection. There are plenty of myths surrounding the practice, like you could be stuck in another realm or something will enter your body while you're not there. But according to the International Academy of Consciousness, 
These fears are unfounded and exist to prevent people from developing this very natural ability. Successful astral projection can help ease anxieties around death, make you more compassionate, heighten your intuition, even help you find your own answers to life's biggest questions. Those are some pretty powerful possibilities. And I think what might have happened was that whatever's been following Cassidy throughout her life doesn't want her to ascend. So it snapped her out of her trance and scared her badly enough that she never wanted to try it again. Maybe this oppressive force wants to prohibit Cassidy from ever gaining the powers that her ancestors punished others for using. On my dad's side, my ninth grandmother is actually Ann Putnam Sr., whose family members were the principal accusers in the Salem witch trials. And there were lots of tragedies that happened to that family after the trials. A lot of them died of disease. So the rumor was that we were kind of cursed. And so I guess every day I just have to live my life trying to make up for my ancestral mistakes. I think if anything, because as we know, a lot of the women who were accused were accused for political reasons or were accused just because they were just women. And I think that would be great karma to be like, oh, you're so afraid of this thing. You're so afraid of this power that you think a woman could have over you, right? That's what terrified them. The idea of witchcraft was this idea that a woman could have power and maybe be able to do things without a man and better than a man. So maybe that would be the ultimate karma is to have to experience these things and see like, it's not like this great communing with the devil or whatever you thought it was you have to experience every part of it like whether it's scaring you or it's there to help you or it's scared of you that is kind of a burden in a way I wouldn't trade it for the world personally keeps things interesting and it definitely leaves me with an open mind Check out Cassidy's podcast, Drinking the Kool-Aid, where she and her friend Amanda discuss everything from ghosts to aliens to true crime and more. Links are in the show notes. Chapter 2. My Experience with a Girl Who Practiced Brujeria. Written by Reddit username Wildebeest3. The following story is narrated by friend of the podcast, Mortis Media. If you want more creepy narrated stories, then check out his new podcast, Scary Stories with Mort. Brujería is the Spanish word for witchcraft. I'll be changing the name of the girl in question, but everything else is absolutely true. I was in 10th grade when I first met Melissa. Initially, I was not attracted to her and I did not see her in any romantic light whatsoever. I was dating another girl, Lauren, at the time. And Lauren, I'm sorry. I didn't even know how to properly date someone back then. So I had only known Melissa for a few days, and seemingly out of nowhere, Melissa sent me these Facebook posts convincing me to leave Lauren, and for whatever stupid reason, I did. We started talking, and eventually Melissa and I began dating. It was a regular relationship, 
or so I thought, until weird things began. I started having horrific and very vivid nightmares, and more often than not, sleep paralysis. Nightmares so horrific that anyone I've told just looks at me like I'm crazy. Like this one, for example. One night, my fiancé and I were sleeping. Our apartment had a sliding door by our heads which led to a small patio. I didn't even realize I was dreaming because everything was exactly as it was in reality. Anyway, I could feel something watching me. I began to hear noises on the patio, so I stood up to check it out and pulled back the shades and opened the sliding door. And there, in the darkness, was my mum. She was saying something that I couldn't understand and started coming towards me, hands outstretched. For whatever reason, I knew I couldn't let her in, so I had one hand on her forehead and one on her shoulder, trying to push her away. She kept pushing forward, and her neck began ripping, until it eventually hung loosely behind her. I could feel and see every fibre of her neck as it was being torn off. She stopped briefly, but it was all I needed to close the door, lock it, and pull the shades shut. I jumped into bed and pulled the covers over me, But like I stated earlier, the sliding door and patio were getting right by our heads, so I could hear her calling my name as she continued trying to get in. I woke up sweating and immediately told my fiancé about my nightmare. My siblings and I are adopted. I hadn't seen my mum since I was 13 or 14, and on that day, we told her we never wanted to see her again. She was a terrible mother and I had moved on with my life. Now that I'm older, I sometimes wonder where she is, but she went by many names, and no one ever met her family. So even if I wanted to find her, I couldn't. But as you can imagine, seeing her in that extremely lucid dream shook me up a lot. Aside from the frequent nightmares, I also began seeing things out of the corner of my eyes that wouldn't be there when I looked directly at them. I didn't give them too much thought. My siblings and I didn't have a good childhood and chalked it up to my brain responding to trauma. Eventually, Melissa and I broke up. I'm not sure why I was infatuated with her. Could it have been because it was my first real relationship? Or the fact it had lasted two years? In any case, I never understood why. Two years later, I began to see my then-fiancé. Her mother is very religious, and when she heard about my nightmares, she blessed me and gave me some holy water. I'm not religious at all, but the nightmares stopped for a bit. I had just come back from basic training in Fort Benning, Georgia, for the army, and I was living with friends. When my sister decided to move back to California... She moved in with my ex, Melissa. My sister at the time didn't believe in the paranormal, but living with Melissa quickly changed that. My sister told me that Melissa's whole family knew she was practicing black magic. Things were thrown at them when no one else was home, 
they would hear noises and breathing behind them. My sister, who worked a graveyard shift, would come home when it was still dark. The bottom floor had no windows, so it would be pitch black, and they had no pets. But she would feel something run by her legs every time she came home. Meanwhile, on my side, my nightmares came back in full force, possibly a side effect from her coming back into my life, albeit indirectly. Weird things began to happen again. One night, as I was turning off the light in my kitchen, I saw a huge black mass sitting on my couch in the living room. The only person that tall was my brother-in-law, but he was in Maryland. It scared the living hell out of me, and I ran upstairs as quickly as possible. My sister heard breathing right by her face, and a man's voice saying hello next to her ear when she was alone. She moved out of that place shortly after, and came to live with us. It was then that she told me that Melissa kept a candle with my name carved in it, and a knife in the wall above it. She saw Melissa's brujeria books, and Melissa claimed that she had cast some kind of spell on me to get me to like her when we first began dating. Sometimes, I wonder. If that was the reason I dated her out of nowhere, and began to have horrific nightmares. Anyway, what I've learned from this experience is to be careful with everyone you meet, because you don't know what they do behind closed doors. Stay safe. Witches will be familiar with the rule of three, which has been interpreted in many different ways. One of the most well-known understandings of the rule is that whatever energy you send out, be it positive or negative, will return to you threefold. But other witches use it as a reminder to stop and think about how your actions will affect you physically, mentally, and emotionally, and if you're willing to accept all those consequences. We don't know what happened to Melissa after this story, but we do know that Melissa did not make kind choices. I don't think she's evil, though. She was an insecure high school sophomore who didn't have enough confidence in herself to think she could get a boyfriend without the use of magic. I think it's amazing that Melissa was powerful enough to successfully cast her spells. If only there were people in her life. Who could have helped her see how powerful she could have been without magic, as well? To hear more stories like this every week, listen to Scary Stories with Mort. Link is in the show notes. Yes, witchcraft has a dark side, but so does every other belief system. Anything taken to the extreme has the potential for its followers to cause others harm. We've seen that happen throughout history, and today, people are human, after all. And while you can't control what others do, you can focus on attracting positivity into your life to outshine any darkness that's sent your way. Perform a protection spell by surrounding yourself with those who uplift you. Conduct a healing ritual by taking a walk in nature and nourishing your body with healthy food. Conjure love by being kind to yourself, and who knows, you might discover. 
that you've been in the broom closet this whole time. Thank you for joining me today. If you like what you heard and would like to support this independently run show, consider becoming a member of my Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash stories with Sapphire to see the different tiers and perks like live watch parties, early access to episodes, or private tarot readings. And don't forget to subscribe to youtube.com slash Sapphire Sindalo, where I post an animated spooky story every other week. If you'd like to submit a story, send it to storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. Salamat and good night. Stories with Sapphire is created and produced by me, Sapphire Sandalo. Music written by Sapphire Sandalo. Special thanks to Cassidy Liston and Mortis Media. Don't forget to listen to Drinking the Kool-Aid and Scary Stories with Mort. For more information on this episode and my guests, visit storieswithsapphire.com.